This is from page 52 of the big book, uh, the second paragraph down. We had asked ourselves why we shouldn't apply to our human problems the same readiness to change our point of view. We were having trouble with personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be real help to other people. Was not a basic solution of these bedevilments more important than whether we should see newsreels of lunar flights? Of course it was. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. Thank you, Tony. Lovely. Okay, so with that, it gives me great pleasure to introduce tonight's speaker, who is Jim Jay, all the way from the US. Um, sharing for 45 to 50 minutes, followed by raised hand sharing. So when you're ready, it's over to you, Jim. I'll unmute you there. There. There we are. My finger wet. My name is Jim. I'm an alcoholic. Again. I live on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. My home group is Cadillacs for Everyone on West 82nd Street. I am speaking now from Kiowa Island, South Carolina, a barrier island off the coast of Charleston, not far north of Savannah, Georgia. I have a home group here that meets three nights a week. In Paris, my home group is Friday Men's on Rue Madame. In London, my home group used to be the Chelsea Hospital across from Carluccio's on Saturday morning. I hope my internet connection doesn't mess things up. I go out the window in the back of this house under the Atlantic Ocean, it comes up in the Thames, goes up the river to Westminster and is buried in some vault somewhere. It's impossible to get a good connection this far away. Thank you, Tony, and, and thank you to the MMT uh, individuals who put this on. Um, you are doing the one essential task, and that is carrying the message. First, a disclaimer. It is my experience that the first 35 years are the hardest. What seemed so hard? I wasn't sure I wanted what you had. I wasn't even sure that I could identify specific, specifically what it was that you did have. For me, the hard part wasn't about you, it was about me. I needed to figure out what I wanted my life to look and feel like. And clearly I needed the agency, the energy, the encouragement to take the necessary steps to achieve what I wanted. AA allowed me the space and the structure to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. She did. Second disclaimer. 
In a few weeks, my wife will mark her 30th year sober. She lived in South Ken for a long time and still has sponsees in the UK. I met her about halfway through my journey so far. She is the last and by far the best. She would never take credit for what AA has given me. What she should take credit for is being a loving, spectacular, independent, smart as hell, sober woman. I love her very much. It's a human honor to be so blessed. I have lived in Bermuda, Rome, London, Paris, and New York. My wife has lived in London, Chicago, Berkeley, California, New York, and Iraq, where not too many years ago she directed a large NGO. I lived with her there for a while. Closest AA meeting is in Istanbul. We have been to meetings all over the world, every continent that we have been to, Antarctica a couple times, there are no meetings there. And we were on a small ship. Speak. Sharing, talking, speaking, offering, consoling. But there is one critically important optional activity that makes it work. Listening. AA taught me to pay attention. I make no apology in giving away the punchlines of this qualification. I can only share with you my truth, my experience, my strength. No matter what the circumstances of my life have been for all 35 of the years I have been given, there are only a handful of words that explain it. A power greater than myself and a higher power. Greater and higher are all I need. That's it. For me, the spiritual is the greatest thirst, the deepest yearning. For me, there are scores of problems, drunk or sober. There is only one solution. The spiritual solution, however amorphous that may sound. When we get to the bedevilments and the solutions, in the St. Francis prayer, I hope you will agree. Before I start storytelling, I invite each of you to find a holy place, a holy space. Does not have to be a building or a physical place or a monastery or a shul or a mosque. I invite you to find a holy place within yourself, a safe place where you can hear what you need to hear without any other voices. Here's where I introduce a little controversy. I have always thought that AA needed at least one more step. This is heresy, but indulge me, please. What would that step be? Well, here's what I think the next step should be. We asked our higher power to guide us in building a sober life of purpose, of abundance, of meaning, of clarity, and of human love and connection. This is not a tall order. 
this chair is about how I experienced and watched AA spirituality become the facts of daily life. We know that making plans is the way to make God laugh. I'm an advocate of setting goals, not making plans. Let's explore this new step further while staying rooted in today, in the now. I will work with my family, my fellows, and my AA faith to set clear and achievable goals that answer a fundamental question. What do I want my life to look and feel like? I emphasize, I am not suggesting making plans. I am suggesting setting goals. The AA member goes to a travel agent, hands over the and says, we want to go somewhere really warm. You pick the trip, can't take this wet cold anymore. Weeks go by, the travel agent and says, what do you mean sending us to the Kalahari Desert? I want a refund. We know how this story ends. The agent says, you needed to be more clear, more specific, more defined. And the guy says, well, if I'm going to keep going the way I'm going, I will get to my destination. Ouch, what a disappointment. Just as I offered words like higher power as the driving notion of this chair, I have another one that fits UKAA especially well. I invite you to weave a bespoke sobriety. Bestroke, bespoke is a great word because it means custom fitted. AA is not usually a place that talks about individual custom fitting. The idea is that we're all a kind of lumpen proletariat. But what I needed to do was use the architecture of the steps and the big book to think through and reflect on how they spoke to me. I had to remember that my experience of doing the steps is not exactly the same as Bill Wilson's or Dr. Bob's. I had to fit sobriety to myself and be comfortable in wearing it. I don't live my life within the confines of an AA meeting. Much of my life is lived once I have said the serenity prayer and started to walk home. Living my life is when I need the most help. I also confess that I do not use the words, do the steps. I never did the steps. What I did for the first seven years was attend two step meetings each week. Monday was the rotating step and we would read each step from the 12 and 12, then go to a brief chair, then raised hand sharing. Thursday was an 11 step meeting. We would begin by reading the St. Francis prayer and the short version of the step, then have a speaker and then go to raised hand sharing. That was how I did the steps. I have always built a step meeting into my meeting schedule. By now you have noticed that there has been no mention of drinking or of being visited by the bedevilments we started with. Okay, this is the real chair. I was born depressed. I don't mean just mood depression. 
It was organic structural depression, not wired quite right. I grew up ashamed. There are individuals who make mistakes. They say they are guilty of making mistakes. There are individuals who are ashamed and who believe they are mistakes. Guilt, shame, and depression are a brutal stew. All the men in my family were alcoholics. None ever got sober except me. When World War II ended, my father came home from combat in the Pacific. He was a raging alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic from Sheffield in the Midlands. My father never got a job. He was diagnosed as being severely clinically depressed. Post-traumatic stress disorder wasn't on the medical menu yet, so there was no real treatment available. This poor guy was in deep trouble. One night when I'm a little kid, he goes into one of his rages. He's yelling, I'm sorry you were born. You're a mistake. I don't want you. In a way, I am grateful to have experienced this existential pain. It has enabled me to feel compassion for others, to understand the nature of our very flawed human existence and behavior. Once I got through the first seven or eight years in AA, I was able to not only forgive him, but to let it go, to decide that my childhood was not the end of my life. I could build a life that mattered to me. I think that my childhood was fairly typical. What a horror, but there it was. As a kid, what I did was go to school for most of the day. After school and at night, I tried to hide as best I could. I hid in the coal bin in the basement. I hid under a lilac bush. This day, I shiver when I inhale the aroma of a lilac. At last, life changed. I turned 16. I had a fake driving license so I could get served in cheap bars. So from 16 to 41, I drank every day, as much as I could, as often as I could. The only limit was money and time. Alcohol completely dominated 25 years of my life. I also had a full dose of the bedevilment I discovered early on that shame and depression are dissolvable in beer, wine, and spirits, regardless of brand or price per ounce. I had a lot of dissolving to do. I had been vague about the addiction in my drinking. My absolute favorite drink anywhere, all the time, was the next one. There was never a time when I didn't manage to get that next one. The liquid holy grail, the solver of sadness. It is said that the moment when an alcoholic takes a drink, that act sends off a craving that is unstoppable. The next one becomes inevitable. That was always the case for me. A few paragraphs ago, I noted that for me, spirituality is a yearning. That yearning is similar to the strength found in craving a drink. Radically different result. In the 25 years of nonstop next ones, 
I managed to graduate at Jesuit College and land a series of really good jobs. I married a wonderful woman who, who was a college classmate. We had two wonderful daughters. But the most important thing in my life was the next one. It got to the point where I didn't with responsibility at all the taxes. Hell, I didn't file the tax returns. My car was repossessed. I walked away literally from a huge title, huge salary corner office so I could have nothing between me and the next one. I walked away from my family. There was nothing and no one between me and the next one. Uh, it needs emphasizing here that many alcoholics have ex-wives and ex-husbands. It needs saying, however, that there are no such thing as ex-children. I was told that if I did AA the way it was suggested, it was possible that I could make amends move forward in a repair. This is an area of the ninth step that requires special handling. For those here struggling with issues, I can assure you it will work out in some way at some time. My daughters sent word to me that they would not speak to me until I had seven years sober. Don't ask me why they picked seven years, but that was the number. They made that rule and kept it. On my seventh anniversary, I walked into the meeting and they were sitting there in the front row. Could have knocked me over with a feather. It has taken years of ninth step work, often brokered by my very sober wife, but we have a terrific relationship now. A former business associate let me live rent-free in a bedroom of one of his homes. As I hurtled toward age 41, I was still able to carry on affairs with women who traveled in the same political circles that I had run around in. I'm cutting corners here, but the upshot was that I met her one day and she was accompanied by a few friends. They said, Jim, you are a mess and a disgrace, and this is all going to end badly. So I agreed to see the doctor they recommended. He ran a treatment center on the corner of Lexington Avenue and around corner from Grand Central Station. The nurse handed me a lengthy questionnaire about my drinking. I didn't know why, but I answered it honestly, then handed it in. Meanwhile, the doctor did a thorough exam. Finally, I said, so what's the diagnosis? He says, Jim, you are a chronic acute alcoholic. Your liver is close to cirrhotic. The Marlboros might kill you first, but you are a train wreck you must stop drinking and enter treatment. My first thought was, I ought to look at cutting back a little. I couldn't cut back. I certainly couldn't stop altogether. Truth is, I did not want to stop. I was told by a counselor to take a meeting book that he had and find a meeting near where I lived. He said, if I didn't get into AA, the future was going to be grimmer and more painful 
than I could imagine. Alcohol would treat me far worse than my father ever had. Agony. I was mired in debt and saw no way of getting out from under. I had burnt every bridge in terms of employment. My shame and depression still dragged behind me every step I took. Except now, I couldn't dissolve them in the next one. No choice. I attended my first AA meeting on September 15, 1985 in Brooklyn, New York. I didn't know it at the time, but a man named Bill Wilson and his wife Lois had once lived around the corner from that meeting. They lived in a brownstone at 182 Clinton Street. It was where Bill was introduced to sobriety by Ebby Thatcher and where Bill wrestled with alcohol until 1935 when he and Dr. Bob started AA. The house is still there and there are still tenants in the apartments. Bill Wilson died in 1971, but a strange phenomenon happens almost every day. Small groups of men and women will stand quietly on the sidewalk opposite the brownstone. One or two will be crying. One or two will be bowed and sort of praying. No one will touch anything or intrude on the tenant. Then they will slowly walk the way who these visitors are and are pleased to live in a place of such historical significance so many people. The first six months in, in AA were a blur. Uh, I learned how to read a meeting book. AA wasn't computerized like it is today. I learned that the diner on Montague Street between my home group and my apartment would become the principal place of learning for me. That's where the old timers, the cheeseburgers, and the wisdom was. I attached myself to the old timers. I sat in the smoking section. I bought a big book and a 12 and 12. I was told to get two sponsors. One was an AA and step sponsor. The other was a spiritual sponsor. The old timers said the spiritual sponsor was the hardest to find and connect with, but by far the most important. Okay. They said that AA is filled with smart people with enormous experience in how to live in the steps. I could find them at any meeting, but spirituality was a bear. I learned that men's meetings were essential for me. I could be more interested in performing for the women than sharing honestly and clearly. My first spiritual sponsor was a former Franciscan monk, a recovering alcoholic who had left his order so he could marry a woman who was a nun in one or another order. He was Peter O, and he introduced me to meetings in Greenwich Village. One of his favorites was at a place called Living Now. It was in a building that used to house the Electric Circus. Very famous back in the day, but I was never a hippie or a druggie. One of his secrets was that on the top floor of the building, there were a bunch of rooms that housed runaway teenagers from around the US. 
kids in real trouble with nowhere to go. Peter counseled these kids and worked quietly with the police department so they could be protected and identified. Extraordinary. He and I talked about how painful it can be to be human. We also talked about all of those around us who were dying every day from AIDS. I got sober at a time when the first order of business at an AA meeting was announcing who had died the day before. The only subject we talked about specifically was gentleness. I was to learn gentleness and try to insert it in every word and action. I worked and talked with Peter for many years. He became a friend of the man who later became my next spiritual and AA sponsor and who brought to England the modern tradition of spiritual renewal in non-sectarian step-based retreats. Peter never talked to me about his life as a monk or his firm religious faith or beliefs. He was my spiritual sponsor, not my pastor. We talked about letting go and being present, about the gifts of pain and life experience. The one thing I wanted most in my early AA years was forgiveness. At the start, I asked that we, that we find a holy place in the world and in ourselves. The heart of my sobriety it is not in finding a holy place, it is in finding holy people, people like my spiritual sponsor. I promise that we will get to solving the devilments and that I will account for my 35 years in the rooms and especially how it came to be that drug-free, I haven't endured one minute of depression in over 20 years. First, I want to look at this holy people idea. I will introduce three in addition to Peter. The most spiritual man I have ever admired is a sponsee for many years. He is named C.W. He became a doctor and married the love of his life. They had two daughters and were starting out on a world that appeared to offer great gifts and success. At age 32, C.W.'s wife went out to the store, but dropped dead instantly from an aneurysm. Very hard situation. He was, however, able to care for and raise his children while building his medical practice. As a surgeon, a very busy man, drinking wasn't yet a problem. Once his girls were on their own, his drinking got out of control. He cut back on his medical practice and everything else. Finally, he understood that he was in trouble. He came into AA. Meanwhile, his older daughter comes down with a massive life-threatening cancer. She undergoes difficult surgery. She and her husband have to put childbearing on the back burner. CW stays sober. It's working out. Her doctor says after a time she can now try to have children. She gets to seven months pregnant and bang, the cancer is back. Huge dilemma for the doctors. They need to do a big surgery again, but this one could kill the unborn baby. This is nasty stuff, but the surgery works out and the baby is fine. She gives birth, but the news is crushing. She is told she has incurable cancer. Not terminal cancer, 
her incurable. Next time it comes back, she won't. That's the status at this point. CW's solution to this situation is first, AA, and second, his deep and daily practice at one of the main zendos in Manhattan. These two forces keep him sober and present for his daughter. Staying in the now is a great feat of spiritual agility. I commend him for this balance. The spiritual elements are all here. I have taken large lessons from these circumstances and spending sponsor time with CW. I certainly have gotten far more from him than he ever got from me. Spirituality appears in many forms. Moving on to chapter five, how it works. We find one of my best friends. We came in together and were close friends for almost 30 years. Sadly, he died about five years ago, Marlboros. We are told right up front to be fearless and thorough from the very start. Fearless? Thorough? What are they talking about? My friend Jonathan was a lawyer. He was a district attorney, a prosecutor in Brooklyn in the district attorney's office. He was in charge of prosecuting the mob, members of the mafia. Talk about fearless. He specialized in big crimes, many murders, huge robberies. His most famous was told in the movie Goodfellas. It starred Robert De Niro and other criminal characters. It's a true story. Killings left and right, all kinds of nefarious conduct. The Goodfellas never thought they would be convicted. Jonathan got convictions on every single one of them. Jonathan didn't care how tough these guys were. He was just as tough and thorough. He always told me that before he went into court, he had the goods on the guy he was prosecuting. No surprises, he said. Know what you want to do and go in there and do it. That's kind of also how I stay sober. I would say he went to AA with a purpose and a goal. He didn't wander in because he had nowhere else to go. He was, and I am, an alcoholic, and in AA lies the solution. Men like C.W. and Jonathan drive my sobriety. They are examples. They are reminders. If we were up in Cheltenham, it's time to say that we're coming to the clubhouse turn. I promised solutions to the bedevilments. The solution is one of the most beautiful prayers ever written. First published in 1912-1913 in France, but attributed for many, many years to St. Francis of Assisi. The, Saint, the Franciscan's website is very clear that Saint didn't write Francis prayer. Never mind, doesn't matter. The first bedevilment is trouble with personal relationships. If Francis was asked, he might say, that where there is hatred, I may bring love. We couldn't control our emotions. Francis might suggest that where there is wrong, I may bring spirit of forgiveness. I am predatory and depression. The man from Assisi would say, where there is despair, I may bring hope. 
couldn't make a living. Where there is doubt, I may bring faith. I felt useless. Grant that I may seek to comfort, then to be comforted. Full of fear, where there are shadows, I may bring light. We were unhappy. Where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Couldn't seem to be of help, that I may seek to understand, then to be understood. Bill Wilson follows the bedevilments with the idea that, quote, simple reliance on the spirit of the universe, unquote, is where I need to be. He suggests that I stop doubting the power of God. The solutions from the St. Francis prayer are not exact fits. I just use them as an example of how simple the solutions can be. There was a man uh, named Harry A. He, he died not too many years ago. His sidekick was a retired Royal Navy guy named Jeremy. Harry was a Londoner, an old timer. His family owned the ground leases under Belgravia, among other things. His lordship dated back to the 13th century. One day in the mid-80s, Harry and Jeremy went to Minnesota, to Hazelden, the treatment center. They had been touted on the idea of going to the renewal center. Separate from them, I did the same. My spiritual sponsor had said that the Hazelden Center had its hand on the wheel of spiritual sobriety. Before Harry came home from Minnesota, he met with the head officer of the place and said simply, we must have this program in England. I have a nice castle in the Cotswolds, and I know scores of AA members who would much enjoy this renewal experience. And so it began. Sudley Castle in Winchcombe became the annual locale of the Hazelden Renewal Center. On Monday, with the first step, by Friday, finish with the 12th step. Huge amounts of discussion, all non-sectarian, all based on the steps and AA principles. The man who conducted these renewals and who worked with Harry in putting them on is my, my dear friend, Hal D. When Suli was, not long, was no longer available as a location, the Londoners took the renewal every year to the Greek island of Patmos, just off the Turkish coast. These renewals took place over 20 years. Hal conducted renewals elsewhere in Europe and the U.S. at least twice each year since my second year in the rooms. I have immersed myself in week-long, step-focused spiritual renewals. This is the practice upon which I base my recovery and such as it is my sobriety. To keep my hand in, for example, I found a monastery up in the Hudson River Valley. 15 of the men in my home group are eager to attend. We spend one whole weekend talking about the prayers of AA. We spend one whole weekend talking about chapter five and so on. No one mentions baseball, football, or pizza with extra cheese. So this is the simple story, and here's where we get to the shock treatments, pleasantly known as electroconvulsive therapy. 
years zero to two. All I did was get sober feet and a couple of sponsors and a seat at the diner. Years three to 10, cleaned up the wreckage, learned to make a living, learned to love in a healthy relationship, started dropping the rocks of shame and depression, worked at repairing the relationship with my daughters. I identified the kind of life I wanted to live. I did not make plans, I defined my goals. Things were more or less okay. Still went four or five meetings a week, did some service. At 15 years, the bottom dropped out. My business got into trouble, money got tight, hard to make the payroll. A woman I was involved with was raped. This was a watershed event in her life and mine. The catastrophes came one after another, but no way was I going to drink. I went home one day and collapsed. I didn't see it coming. I totally collapsed and couldn't talk or move. Bad picture, catatonic. My wife Lynn called to my old shrink right away. She said I was in big trouble and needed the most powerful tool in the kit, electroconvulsive therapy. Having no choice, I went into the hospital for several very difficult months. I submitted to the shocks, although truth be told, I was knocked out cold a few seconds before entering the area where the banging was done. Never felt a thing except for the hangover. I have not had one incident of any type of depression since those days, not even a bout of sadness. Then, years 16 to 35, my life is terrific. AA gave me permission to live a life I love. I do have a place in this world. I do belong. I do have some value as a human being. I am enough. AA showed me what worked for them. There might be more rocks that will drop out of the sky, but my bet is that now at age 76, I'll end up skipping over them instead of falling under them. In terms of this spiritual sponsor thing, I assure you, you will find who you seek, just as I did after a few years. Be gentle, patient, persistent, and determined to find the spiritual paths we never knew existed. Fearless and thorough really works. Thank you. Wow. Jim Jay, thank you so much. Uh, what a chair, what a chair. There was so much in it and I'm, I, I'm so glad this is, this is recorded because yeah, it's just amazing. You know, when you started off with, with 35 year 